What's happening guys? Sam Adams here and welcome to a brand new episode of Caffeinate today for January the 24th of 2018. My name is Samuel Adams and welcome to today's show. For those that are brand new to the program, this is a daily gaming news podcast where I bring you the hottest gaming news from around the industry and I package it together in this podcast for you to enjoy while you cook dinner, while you eat breakfast, while you drive home from work, or maybe while you go outside and let your dog poop. Wherever you might be and whatever you might be doing, Caffeinate is the perfect, I suppose, uh, accessory, uh, perhaps a, a condiment, if you will, to your daily life, especially if you are into gaming culture and gaming news. Of course, welcome to those that are brand new, and the show is hosted five days a week, Monday through Friday, on twitch.tv slash the Samuel Adams, and on top of that, you can find it over on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media, and on anchor.fm slash Samuel Adams, but to Dragon New Light in the chat, hello my friend, I hope you are doing well, and again, you too, future listener, can also watch live if you do want to. Uh, But self-promotion aside, what are we going to be talking about on today's show? First off... GDC surveys have revealed a lot of statistics, including that 18% of developers are working on next-generation games, and also we'll talk about their feelings on unionization of the gaming developer uh, section of the industry. On top of that, Anthem is adding a social hub. Cyberpunk 2077's head writer has left CD Projekt Red and is actually joining Blizzard. So that's a pretty interesting fact as well. PUBG Lite enters beta in Thailand, finally making the game free to play. Octopath Traveler developer trademarks HD2D, which is a fantastic uh, term that sounds like some kind of droid from Star Wars, but I digress. Speaking of Star Wars, Star Wars Battlefront 2 update lets you hunt Jedi as Count Dooku, which sounds pretty badass. PSVR sales grew the virtual reality market by 30% in 2018 and is expected to keep selling even more. The Wii Shop channel is closing down, but fear not, you can quell those sad little tears of yours with a brand new Fallout 76 jacket that is $276. Not 75, no, we had to make it a solid 76 because of the number game that Bethesda tends to play. So, hope you guys enjoyed today's show, and to Alan in the chat, afternoon to you as well. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it, shall we? A GDC survey has revealed that 18% of developers are working on next-generation games. Each year, the Game Developers Conference serves as one of the biggest meetings of minds for creators in the video game industry. While we're still about two months off, the conference shared its 7th annual State of the Game Industry survey results. The survey polled nearly 4,000 video game developers on a variety of topics, including work hours, Steam, and projects they are working on. One of the most interesting tidbits is that 18% of the 4,000 developers surveyed are working on games for unannounced platforms. However, only 2% of respondents say that project is exclusive to next-gen games. The other 16% say their projects are cross-generational. On that same question, 46% say they are developing exclusively for existing hardware. In addition, one of the topics touched on was how the developers surveyed were planning on monetizing their next completed game. 50% responded that it would be a traditional pay-to-download, while 41% said free-to-download. However, only 9% of total respondents said their games would include paid loot boxes, while 22% and 24% said they would support the game through paid in-game currency and paid in-game items, respectively. Steam remains the most popular PC-slash-Mac platform for devs to sell their games on, with 47 of the developers using... or 47% rather, of developers using the Valve-owned storefront, but 
Only 6% of devs feel Steam earns its 30% cut of the game revenue. For contrast, only 32% feel Steam does not earn its cut, while 27% say it probably doesn't. While this could indicate future problems for Valve's storefront, 55% of devs say that 75% or more, there's a lot of statistics here, of their sales come from Steam, which is significantly more than any other digital storefront at this time. So essentially, whether you like it or whether you don't, Steam is still killing it for game developers. On the topic of work hours, and this is where some things get a little bit more interesting, 44% spend more than 40 hours a week working on games. The most popular reason for this, however, is not management pressure or peer pressure, which were 10% each. Instead, the most common reason for overtime among respondents is self-pressure, 33%. On the topic of maintaining favorable work conditions, 47% said they think workers in the industry should unionize, but only 21% are optimistic about that happening. And of course, the gender difference between male and female is 70 7% being male this time around, with 19% being female, and this is a slight increase from last year's survey, which was the same question, and it yielded an 80-17 split. Other interesting results include 24% saying their multi-platform games have sold best on the Switch, and that 45% of developers consider Switch a platform that most interests them, compared to 38% for PS4, 28% for Xbox One, and 60% for PC. Now, of course, the Game Developers Conference, otherwise known as GDC, runs March the 18th through the 22nd in San Francisco, California. So needless to say, a lot to break down in today's headline story. The main focus that I want to put on it is that 18% of developers are working on next-gen games. Now, that is exclusively on unannounced platforms. However, again, 2% of respondents say the next project is exclusive to next-gen game consoles, meaning that the overwhelming majority of people that are going to be attending uh, GDC or those that were surveyed are working on games for this current generation of hardware, which for me leads to the question of whether or not these systems are actually going to be coming out in 2020. Now, if you do have games that are releasing on both the PS4 and the Xbox One, as well as the next generation, that could throw some things off. But if you do not have developers already working on developing games exclusively for the next generation of consoles, this leads me to think that there is not going to be any kind of solid launch lineup for a next generation developed and finished anytime soon. Again, I could be reading too far into it, uh, but without a doubt, something that is interesting to consider as we go into 2019 and to 2020, uh, where we are inching closer and closer to the successors, the sequels, if you will, uh, to the current consoles on the market right now. Now, the other side of this kind of a giant slew of statistics is the unionization concept here, where people are talking about the gaming industry unionizing and essentially allowing developers to have a set level of expectations, to have a quality work environment uh, like many other industries do have, which is something that the gaming developer uh, group doesn't have right now. Uh, so there are many other articles that have talked further about this, but right now, again, to reiterate, 47% uh, said they think workers in the industry should unionize, but only 21% are optimistic about that happening. And so I went through and I read a couple of other articles talking about this issue and why people said what they said. And essentially 21%, only 21%, are optimistic about unionization within game developer uh, sections of the industry because there are so many people that are just you know, yearning for the opportunity to jump in and work as a developer for a company. And so if you do have people that are dissatisfied with the current state of where they are in their career, they can simply be pushed out and more people and younger people uh, that have a longing to work in the game industry in any kind of way, shape or form will be brought in and they'll work for less because, you know, 
that's their goal, their dream, and their you know uh, peak, if you will, to be able to develop a game and to be able to work for a giant gaming corporation and a game developer and a publisher and all that stuff. Now, with that being said, a lot to break down there, a lot to consider, uh, but without a doubt, tons of interesting t statistics, and again, Game Informer is my source for this, but there are many other platforms, many other sources out there that are talking more about this, so by all means, do your own research and find out what you need to know about the GDC survey results, because the state of the game industry in 2019 is shifting, without a doubt, something that is very interesting. Now, moving on to the next story of the day, Anthem adds a social hub just before release, actually, sort of, kind of, the lead producer on Anthem has revealed a new social area that has been implemented following player feedback. The new launch bay is an area where players can, quote, hang out, use the forge, reload, and grab a new contract, according to a tweet from Bioware's Michael Gamble. He went on to explain that once a mission is wrapped up, players can choose to go to the NPC-centric Fort Tarsus. In regards to implementing the launch bay using player feedback, Gamble added, quote, we figured that we could show you before launch how we plan to continue to be after launch. Anthem is set to launch on PC, PS4, and Xbox One on February 22nd, and players can get a taste of the game in the demo next weekend, which is available from Friday, February 1st, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, to Sunday, February 3rd, at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. There is a VIP demo this weekend for players who either pre-ordered or are members of EA or Origin Access, and you can log in from Friday, January 25th, from 9 a.m. Pacific Time, to Sunday, January the 27th, at 6 p.m. Pacific Time as well. Uh, now, I will say, uh, this is something that is really cool to see, and as the actual lead did say, I hope that we see this continued throughout the life of Anthem, because people wanted a hub to be able to hang out in and do whatever they needed to do, uh, and pretty much have this kind of a, you know, social space, and that's something that it took a very long time to convince the developers behind the scenes at Destiny to go ahead and implement in a sort of kind of way. Uh, with that being said, it's cool to see that they are going ahead and putting this into the beta. It's something that I think has been a long time coming, and it's something that I think is a necessity uh, whenever you have a game that is the type of game Anthem is, where there are social aspects, there is a need to have kind of a home base, if you will, and that's something that I think is a pretty awesome feature, and something that is awesome uh, because you do see the response directly and very so immediately uh, within the Anthem community between that and the devs. Uh, so if you did want to check out Anthem again, the open beta starts next weekend, and then the VIP version of that beta starts this weekend if you did want to dive in and check it out. Now, Cyberpunk 2077 is a game that has people excited, but their head writer has left CD Projekt Red to join Blizzard. Sebastian Stepien, who was also creative director on The Witcher 3, is now over there on Blizzard's team. A creative director for The Witcher 3 and Cyberpunk 2077 has left CD Projekt Red for a role at Blizzard. Sebastian Stepien, who was creative director on The Witcher 3, as well as a narrative and setting director on Cyberpunk 2077, has revealed via LinkedIn that he now has a creative director role at Blizzard's California office. Stepien was part of a trio of creative directors on The Witcher 3, also including Conrad Tomaskiewicz, sure, and Matsu Kanik. I absolutely nailed those names. According to his LinkedIn page, he started at CD Projekt Red in 2006, working in various ranks as a writer before gaining a promotion as lead story designer in 2010. There is every possibility that Stepien's job is complete on Cyberpunk 2077. The lengthy gameplay video shown at E3 last year seems to confirm that all aspects of its narrative and setting are probably set in stone. What's more interesting is what Stepien is up to at Blizzard. There are tons of jobs opening at Blizzard for a seeming variety of unannounced projects, and the future will see what he is actually working on right now. 
Uh, but without a doubt, it is an incredible asset for Blizzard to have this man on their team because there are several games in my mind that stand out for this generation as being, you know, the the creme de la creme, if you will, the, the, the cream that rises to the top, in the words of Macho Man Randy Savage. And one of those is The Witcher 3. And so anybody that had anything to do with that game in any kind of narrative sense or even a design sense, anybody that touched that game is in my mind pretty much gold. They have worth and they are absolutely worth your time. Uh, now, whereas Blizzard stands right now, they are somewhat of a of a in a situation where they're digging themselves out of a hole because of the negative PR they've been getting pretty much since BlizzCon 2018 with the reveal of Diablo Immortal on phones. And of course, things have not been going well outside of that either. And a lot of kind of, I guess, drama right now going on between Activision and Blizzard and all of that. It's just a big heap of mess over there. Uh, but to be able to have this as an asset going forward, to be able to have somebody that has experience uh, in a writing sense, to be able to craft a brand new narrative for you to kind of flesh out in a potentially brand new world for a growing franchise for the next generation of consoles and the next generation of games... That is an incredibly big step up whenever you are comparing them to the competition right now. Uh, so hopefully we'll get some pretty good stories out of this situation. But right now, what you need to know is that a creative director for The Witcher 3 and Cyberpunk 2077 has left CD Projekt Red for a role at Blizzard. Looking pretty good if I do say so myself. Also to Nini in the chat. Hello, my friend. Hope you're doing well. Moving on, PUBG Lite enters a beta in Thailand, finally making the game free to play. And it may expand to different territories in the future, so keep your eyes peeled. And of course, you can always tune in to Caffeinate, and I'll let you know exactly when and if this is actually going to be coming to other territories. PUBG Corp has launched a beta for PUBG Lite in Thailand. This new version of PUBG is a low-spec, free-to-play iteration of the popular BR title. Based off of the current PC version, Lite resembles PUBG Mobile from its visual makeup. The idea is to provide a version of the game for players with weaker machines to get them playing. The current build includes the original PUBG map, its desert map, and the training arena. Despite being graphically cut down, the game will still support 100-player matches with all the other features from regular PUBG. You can actually download the client and give it a shot. You will, of course, need to set up a VPN to trick the servers into believing you are in Thailand, but that is not especially hard to do. PUBG Corp does state it is looking to expand PUBG Lite into different territories, but this may only be for other Asian markets instead of a worldwide release. For now, we just have a trailer to get a short look at the game, and it appears to be exactly like PUBG, just without the performance issues. What a thought that is. Right, and again, if you did want to check it out, the game is available in Thailand via a VPN if you did want to give it a shot, uh, which is how I originally gave uh, Ring of Elysium a shot, is actually a workaround like that. Uh, so basically, what this is, is a intermediary version of PUBG between PUBG Mobile and the full version of PUBG that we're used to seeing on PC, which I think is a fantastic option because if I were to be able to load PUBG onto my school laptop, for instance, or onto a lower-end machine uh, I would without a doubt play it whenever I had time I think that's a fantastic option and I think it's something that could definitely be a big hit now will it be a big hit over here you know will it be a big hit outside of Thailand and of you know smaller territories that's still yet to be seen because so many people are used to playing the full version of PUBG uh, but Considering the worldwide success of PUBG Mobile, I think that's really where you're going to be seeing a lot of value brought in for these lower spec versions of games. Uh, so we'll see how this goes in Thailand, but as for right now, free to play. 
come into regular PUBG, or at least semi-regular PUBG if you really want to get into it. But moving on to the next story of the day. Octopath Traveler developer trademarks HD2D, R2D2's special cousin. Octopath teaser, they might be saying. Could be a sequel coming down the pipe. Square Enix has trademarked a term closely associated with its recent retro throwback, Octopath Traveler, suggesting it may plan to use the phrase more in the future. Gamatsu reports that the company filed trademarks for HD2D and HD2D, one with a dash and one without, in Europe. This is not the first time Square has used the term, though, since it commonly referred to the aesthetic of Octopath Traveler this way. That game blended classically styled sprite art with 3D environments for a unique effect. Trademarking the term could mean the company is planning to use the technique again either in a sequel to Octopath or some other project altogether. Meanwhile, we're still waiting to hear what's coming next from the Bravely Default series, and last year the Octopath Traveler social media channels began teasing an announcement seemingly leading to the reveal of Bravely Third. No formal announcement has been made yet, though the teaser still sits as a pinned tweet on the Bravely Twitter. Producers Masashi Takahashi nailed it, and Tomoya Asano, oh my god, I'm on a roll, let's go baby, were both involved with Bravely Second before making on, moving on, dang it, I messed it up, to produce Octopath Traveler. Despite wildly different appearances, the two carry some gunplay mechanics in common, like the ability to score attacks for a multi-attack layer. If a Bravely Third announcement is on the horizon, the studio could be splitting its efforts between the two series or alternating between them. Uh, so we'll see what happens with HD2D. Uh, for me, Octopath Traveler is kind of a no-brainer uh, whenever you're thinking about going into the future and where Octopath Traveler could go because it was such a unique game and it had such a unique art style. Uh, for instance, just this screenshot right here you know, in, this, in this video. Whenever you see stuff like this, I automatically identify this immediately as Octopath Traveler. And there are so many games where I might have to wait a couple of minutes to see some gameplay or to see some talk about characters and, and design and narrative before I can identify the game fully. This is immediately identified as Octopath Traveler, and that's an incredibly valuable asset to have in a world where so many games look and play in a similar kind of fashion. So to trademark HD2D and to make it a big part of your marketing scheme going forward into potential sequels and uh, potential other marketing, you know, setups, then I think it's a pretty good move, and I think we are going to be seeing more Octopath Traveler over the next few years. And that's something I would love to see. Also, Barbosa in the chat, what's going on? Welcome on in. Moving on to the next story of the day. Star Wars Battlefront 2 update lets you hunt Jedi as Count Dooku. It's time for a rematch, they say. Uh, fun fact, the guy that played Count Dooku in the earlier movies uh, was actually the leader of a heavy metal band all the way up until his death just a few years ago. And guess what? It's not that bad. It's pretty dang interesting. Not good, just interesting. Uh, however, that's beside the point. The Sith Lord Count Dooku has joined the roster of villains in Star Wars Battlefront 2 in a free update. The dusty battlefields of Genosis, Geonosis, I apologize for all those hardcore Star Wars fans out there, I probably just lost so many, you know, brownie points, uh, have also been added to other game modes, so you can check out the new world without playing Galactic Assault, and it's out right now. Where does the consensus lie with Dooku these days? There's not a whole lot to like in Attack of the Clones and the other prequels, but I've, the author says, always been rather fond of Darth Tyrannus and his fancy lightsaber. Like Darth Maul, he doesn't really get developed in the films, but he's a snappy dresser, has a neat fighting style, and was played by Christopher Lee, so I am still a fan. Like his movie counterpart, Digital Dooku is a duelist. Despite being in the middle of a war zone, the old fella always looked poised, 
His melee attacks are swift and deadly and his lightsaber skills make him a great counter to Jedi as he is able to easily deflect enemy lightsabers and then lay down some punishment. Blaster fire on the other hand is more troublesome so if you want to take Dooku out, you shoot him. Along with the ability to stun groups with a lightning attack, Dooku can target individuals making them slower and increasing damage from Dooku uh, and his allies. Conveniently, killing an enemy recharges the ability immediately. And so, right now, if you do want to dive in and check out Star Wars Battlefront 2, you can see how the game's holding up in 2019, and on top of that, play as Count Dooku, who, according to Rockhard, who is an aficionado when it comes to music, and especially rock, uh, the Xmas album is interesting as well. So, I mean, you can either play the game, which we all know what Star Wars Battlefront 2 looks like, or you can listen to some pretty solid music, or you could do both. You could always do both. However, if you did want to dive into VR, now is the time because VR is beginning to flourish thanks specifically to the PlayStation VR because it grew the VR market by 30% in 2018 and is expected to keep selling. Despite struggling to perform in 2017, PSVR had a fantastic year in 2018 thanks to many factors. For one, the price was right through various PSVR sales and price drops, with many buyers getting their hands on the headset for $199, one of the least expensive options for VR on the market. According to a Superdata blog post, PSVR achieved revenue sales that reached $3.6 billion, a staggering number considering the barrier to entry. That's a far cry from the $500 million in sales that was estimated a little over a year ago and the low adjusted Superdata numbers that came out shortly after the headset's release. That number also represents an increase in year-over-year -year revenue earned of 30%, with over 700,000 units being sold during the holiday quarter alone. This is more units sold than any other VR unit, with the next best being the Oculus Go Gold, which sold around 555,000, still an impressive number. The PSVR does have the benefit of being part of an ecosystem in which there are over 90 million PS4 systems out there, which too is noteworthy. Nevertheless, it does deserve some praise. As VR continues to grow, researchers at Superdata estimate $34.1 billion in revenue for VR by the end of 2020, an increase of 442% over 2018. It seems that one hand will wash the other as well, since we keep seeing standout PSVR titles like Astrobot, Moss, Beat Saber, Farpoint, and Resident Evil 7 that entice consumers to buy. The higher the install base, the more likely we are to see high-quality games like the ones mentioned above. Uh, now, of course, PSVR is still in its infancy, but it has been compared to the PS1, according to the guys at PlayStationLifestyle.net. Now, I have not heard that much about a comparison between PlayStation 1 and PSVR, but hey, I'll take your word for it. Uh, with that being said, to summarize this entire article, PlayStation VR is paving the way as many people thought that it would. Now, right out of the gate, uh, PSVR seemed, in my opinion, to be kind of gimmicky, but as time has gone on, uh, Sony has continued to improve the PSVR, uh, going so far as to put out a brand new model that changed up some of the mechanics of the actual PSVR. Not so much that older models were necessarily bad in comparison, uh, but that more features that players wanted were put in later on in the hardware's life cycle. Uh, however, the games are what really propelled this item to continue to sell very well, uh, with stuff like Beat Saber and Farpoint proving that you can have very high quality experiences on a PlayStation VR, and I think one of the biggest points that is really going underappreciated here is that the PSVR is something that can literally run on every PS4, and the PS4 has done incredibly well for this generation, so considering that VR is continuing to get a lot of coverage in the press, to be able to go ahead and use a piece of hardware that so many people already have 
and implement it in a way that allows a pretty high quality VR experience is something that is uh, unmatched when it comes to stuff like the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift because you do have to have such a high quality PC to run such a device. Uh, and Although that is a better experience if you have an HTC Vive or an Oculus Rift, you do run the risk of, you know, investing in it and not enjoying VR or whatever it might be. So do be able to get in on this for essentially $200 if you really want to break down the lowest option or the lowest priced option. Uh, that is a pretty incredible asset to have under your belt. So if you did want to dive in and check out the PSVR, again, you can get it for around 200 bucks when it's on sale. Right now, I believe I've seen it for around 300 but again, that's coming with the camera, two PlayStation Move controllers, and the headset itself, and potentially even a game or two, depending on where you shop. I believe that I saw that one at Best Buy, uh, but you can always find pretty good deals out there for some hardware, especially as the console generation is beginning to wind down. Speaking of winding down, the Wii Shop channel is closing forever next week, so get your purchases in ASAP. Digital distribution is an interesting thing, but it's still no doubt going through some growing pains. The question often arises of what happens when a company just decides to close up and shut down the shop, but it hasn't been too big an issue so far. That will change at the end of this week when Nintendo becomes the biggest player in the game to shut down a digital distribution shop in the future effectively ending the ability to download or even re-download anything from the Wii shop. The shutdown, which was announced on Nintendo's support website, means that the Wii Shop servers will no longer be accessible. So, if there are games you have paid for but do not currently have downloaded on your Wii, you have until January 30th to get them onto the system memory or associated SD card before Nintendo brings down the axe. This means WiiWare games and virtual console titles, as well as any content that needs to be downloaded, like channels. In theory, Skyward Sword's patch can no longer be downloaded, thus leaving a progress-blocking glitch in the game forever. Transfers from Wii to Wii U will also be impossible unless the Wii Transfer channel is already downloaded, which is probably the biggest one that I want to drive home. In March of last year, Nintendo closed the ability to add points to the Wii Shop, meaning whatever you had left on the account was all that could be used. And if you still have points in there, you must spend them this week or that money is quite frankly put gone. Uh, so... Unfortunately, as the industry continues to grow and evolve and as more of these consoles come out, you are going to be seeing more and more consoles drop off that online connectivity option. For instance, if I were to guess, you know, within the next five years, you may be seeing the PlayStation 3 version of the PlayStation Store taken offline. Uh, you may be seeing the Xbox 360, Xbox Live Marketplace being taken down. Again, that's a far stretch because both of those were, in my opinion, more widely used and uh, a much uh, bigger staple of the gaming industry as compared to the Wii Shop. Uh, but without a doubt, something that is uh, an unfortunate reality when it comes to an evolving and changing gaming space. So without a doubt, the point that I want to drive home here is wipe away the tears, turn on the Wii, and download all of the things you paid for. Because if you don't, it is literally just a lost cause. You just threw away money, and you'll never be able to play your stuff again. Uh, especially if you do want to get that Wii to Wii U transfer channel, that is one of the biggest assets of the Wii right now, is to be able to transfer your save data over to the Wii U for those games that are backwards compatible, or whatever you want to call it, via the Wii Shop. Again, kind of unfortunate because I grew up on the Wii just like many other people. You know, over there throwing Wii, Wii bowling balls and, and playing Super Mario Galaxy. There were some good times on the Wii. Still a good console even in 2019, come to think of it. Even if it is in low-res HD. If you can even get it in any... Actually, I think it's SD. Never mind, it, it looks terrible. But it's still a fun little console, without a doubt. However, to round out today's news, if you want to blow some cash... 
guess what? I've got the option for you because Twitter has reacted to a $276 Fallout 76 jacket with a bunch of bag jokes. Now, the main story here is that there is a $276 Fallout 76 jacket, but we're going to be talking about the bag jokes as well. Yesterday, the official Fallout Twitter account announced that a leather Fallout 76 jacket was being sold in the Bethesda store. At a price of $276, the lambskin leather jacket is bright blue with yellow piping and a big 76 on the back with a small 76 on the front as well as lined with a quote silky shiny to feta fabric. Deep breath, the author says. So, you probably remember the Fallout 76 bag gate fiasco in which customers who purchased the $200 Fallout 76 Collector's Edition, which was advertised as coming with a canvas Fallout 76 bag, but it actually came with a nylon bag, which was met with outrage, to which Bethesda first offered a small amount of atoms in-game currency as recompense before the outrage over that convinced them to go ahead and replace all the nylon bags with canvas ones, after which a number of customers submitting support tickets for those replacement bags had their private information leaked Due to a problem with the, th well, I tried to get it all in. The author said one sentence. Essentially, people got really angry. I, I gave it my best. Uh, with that being said, uh, here are some of the best roasts that I've seen on Twitter all year. And yes, it is only the end of January. Uh, first off, we have somebody that compares it to a blue uh, tarp. Uh, on top of that, we have somebody that has found a Best Buy bag, it appears, and put 76 on the side of it with some masking tape. Uh, somebody has photoshopped 76 in what appears to be aerial font on the back of a blue poncho, the type you would get at a concert whenever you're laying out on the lawn seats drunk. Uh, on top of that, you have a man sitting on the subway in a trash bag. And so essentially people go on to compare it to Ikea uh, bags and, and more ponchos and even a whole bunch of other various miscellaneous items and whatnot. Uh, but essentially people are just poking fun at the fact that Bethesda has not had a good track record so far of Fallout 76 merch. Now, I will say, from an observer's point of view, this does not look like a good jacket, and without a doubt, it does not look like a $276 jacket, okay? If you're just looking at the quality of the build here, it's not looking great. I'm just going to go ahead and point it out and say it. I'm sorry. Uh, number one, if I'm paying $276 for a jacket, it's going to be something that I am able to wear in public and not have to worry about if I'm being judged, Okay, this is a very expensive piece of material, and again, as we see in the chat, that shiny material will chip so fast, it looks like a thrift shop jacket, worse than a cheap pleather couch. Again, all of these are options for how to insult this terrible looking jacket, uh, but without a doubt, not $276, maybe $76, and that's just for the collectors and the streamers and whatnot that want to wear this during their time playing the game. Uh, so we'll see if they do actually send it in maybe a uh, some kind of cardboard box that's actual cardboard or if it is even leather to begin with. Uh, but with that being said, I wanted to let you guys know that if you, for some reason, have a limitless amount of cash, you have the option to jump in and get in on this leather, potentially even pleather, uh, maybe even nylon jacket coming from Bethesda to celebrate Fallout 76. Uh, man, people are crazy these days. People are crazy. With that being said, that wraps up today's episode of Caffeinate. 
I hope you guys did enjoy today's show. And for those hanging out in the chat, I appreciate you being here. And I hope you did enjoy the show. For those watching later on YouTube, I appreciate you as well. And the amount of support for this show lately has been absolutely insane. Uh, we hit... 1700 subs on the YouTube channel overall. We've hit tons of views and listens over there on Anchor.fm and various podcast services around the world. Uh, I would have never thought that uh, I would be able to do this podcast and have it get such a large following in such a short amount of time because I've been doing it for literally less than a year and it's been really cool to see. Uh, but with all that being said, if you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash pretty chill guy, all of that stuff is down below wherever you are watching or listening to this podcast at. But I'll be back tomorrow for a final episode of Caffeinate for the Week. And until then, have a fantastic one. Peace.